Um, let's turn to Psalm 23. Let's read some verses here. Verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, or the waters of rest. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, this is uh, scripture I was encouraged about today. And uh, I believe this is David speaking. And you know, in the flesh, in our natural flesh, there's many desires, many wants, and they come upon us continually. But as David was sharing this, it was like he was saying, "Because the Lord is his shepherd." Some translate, "I do not want. I don't have want. I don't have the want." He takes away as I submit to his will in my life, and. It was a test. It's a test in my life, and as we examine ourselves to see if we have this want inside of us for more, uh, there's a discontentment. <clears throat> when there's a want, there's a discontentment. Another word. And when we have discontentment, it's because the Lord isn't uh, shepherding us. We're not allowing Him to shepherd us and lead us. And then we get want, and that's why we look at the other pastures and are tempted to fulfill the desires of our flesh because we haven't learned that the contentment of being sheep and just trusting the Lord to provide and to sustain us and to find our satisfaction in, in His provisions and so David was at this place where even though obviously he was at times running around in the wilderness and, and all these things he was able to find contentment and he was able to remember that the Lord was his shepherd and that he didn't have to want and he knew in verse 2 that the Lord would make him to lie down in green pastures. Speaking a lot about a lot about rest, a lot about quietness in this section about what it means not to be in want, to be discontent. He trusted that the Lord would make him lie down, would cause him to lie down in the green pastures. It gives rest. It says, he leads me beside quiet waters or the waters of rest. And this is the walk of faith. This is walking by faith is the only place where we can have rest, where we're not striving or discontent or anxious or worried or fearful. But there's a peace that passes understanding as we renew our minds. In verse three, he said, "He restores my soul, the soul part of his life. That's everything. His emotions, his own will." that the thoughts of his mind he can restore these areas as we renew our minds David says he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake there's a lot of a lot of just trusting and a lot of um, I know David waited on the Lord a lot he waited for the Lord to to guide him and to lead him and it's it's not the nature of the flesh to do that because we get anxious and we get discontent and we make decisions in haste that's the way we are we we don't see something happening and we step into it. We plan our ways, but it's the Lord who directs our steps. And, and David was able to, to renew his mind and he said, The Lord guides me into right, even in righteousness, all my, whatever righteousness is, in all my decisions. Um, 
naturally speaking or spiritually speaking, the Lord guides him in, in righteousness. But it says that he does it because he does it for his name's sake. And that's the difference, is that if it's for me, then I'm discontent. So I am motivated by my impulses or my own desires. But if I trust in the Lord that for his name's sake he should be glorified, then he leads me in, in righteousness. This is the nature of the sheep, is that it always has to depend upon the shepherd. And it's it's not a, <clears throat> as I think about it, it's not a, can I, now I need to trust the Lord, and especially for this area of my life, or now I need to really pray about this. I think of a sheep and a shepherd, I think of the, of the relationship is just constant. It's 24-7. It's always in the presence of the shepherd. It's always learning to hear his voice. It's not far away. And because of that nature to be in the presence of the shepherd, it's learning to hear his voice so that when he, the Lord speaks, when Jesus speaks, and he says, go here, he makes me lie down there. I trust in his voice. I can hear that voice. I can discern that voice from my own impulses and from my fleshly thoughts where I, I'm not confused all the time. I'm trying to find the answers because I, I'm hearing the wisdom that comes from above. It's, bringing, it's producing the peaceable food of righteousness. It's giving rest. There's a quietness and there's a trust. This is the nature of the sheep. <clears throat> it doesn't have wants. And as I just you know, simply thought about that first verse, spoke a lot to me about when my flesh gets uh, frustrated. My flesh gets frustrated. It's telling me that it has wants. And I have not submitted myself under the shepherd. My, I'm rising up to make my own decisions. And my wants come alive. <clears throat> but when I can't find contentment, I've chosen that place where God wants me to be. To be the sheep that hears his voice. And David even goes so far as to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, now when <clears throat> things get very difficult, he says, the place of the shadow of death, where death is lurking, naturally, or we could even, and death is lurking spiritually, right? when we're losing our peace and our joy, and, and all these things are coming upon us. In this place, he says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. <clears throat> How can he say that in the valley of the shadow of death, he, he says in his own heart, I choose not to fear because I believe you are with me. Because he speaks by faith. He speaks by faith that perhaps the Lord is allowing him to be in a place of the shadow of death to reveal things in his heart or to test his character or to see if he really trusts in, the, in God. <clears throat> and he chooses by faith, not by his feelings or his emotions. His emotions are saying he has fear or there's potential for fear because it's the shadow of death. It's the greatest type of fear. The shadow of death is like prior to death. <clears throat> but his heart is choosing not to fear, but to find rest. Because he believes that even in that place, the Lord is with him. I think David said in one place, if he digs down <clears throat> to Sheol, and he makes his home in Sheol, he says, I know you'll be there. Because he believed in God's love for him. <clears throat> in the worst place, he says, in the greatest pit, I know you'll, you'll be there for me if I call upon you. He says, I fear no evil because you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the places of danger, in the places of um, <clears throat> anxiety, worry, fears, the shepherd is there. <clears throat> and he says, he even prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. So that he's not, he's not influenced by his enemy when he reviles or when his enemy comes upon him. A good example, of course, is Saul. 
I think he was with Saul, and David was in that cave one time, some place, and he was so thirsty, and when he was running, and his his men, some of his mighty men, I believe, they they went across the Philistine barrier and they grabbed some water from the well. They risked their lives. They came back and they gave it to David, <clears throat> where he was so dry and just could ask for a cup, and, and the Lord would provide it for him. But he poured it out because he knew those men risked their lives. But in the presence of his enemies, the Lord showed him that he could give him a cup of cold water in that place. In his mind, it was impossible, right? <clears throat> in our minds, I mean, it's, it's a picture of us, of things that are impossible. Lord, I feel so dry right now. I feel like I'm running from my enemies. How could it be possible that I can have a cup of cold water at this point? <clears throat> Yet the Lord was able to do it, to show David that he could prepare, so to speak, a table, even in the presence of his enemies that he could anoint his head with oil, and that his cup could overflow, that he could have joy. Essentially, this is like James, right? To have joy in the trial. <clears throat> to have joy in the frustration and the darkness. To be able to have joy, not of ourselves or our circumstances, but in Jesus. <clears throat> this was where, this is why David, I believe, God is doing such a big work in David. You know, we know he was young, and he was going through the wilderness, and he was being chased, and he was being persecuted by Saul. And why was God allowing it? <clears throat> what was the purpose of him having to run? And I believe the Lord was just working on his character, just for years and years, just chiseling away things that even David couldn't see. <clears throat> I believe David, when he said, Lord, forgive me my hidden faults and keep me from willful sin, let the Lord have dominion over me, that I may be blameless. Those hidden faults, those areas where uh, perhaps self-righteousness could have come, or, or pride, or selfish ambitions, or all the things that could have destroyed his kingdom when he became king, I believe the Lord was preparing him in those years, working in him, but bringing him through difficulty, bringing him through hardship, making him become lowly with the rogues and the debtors, <clears throat> with these men that he wouldn't normally associate with when he was a king. When he was a king, he wouldn't be associating with those men, but when he was young, God put him with those guys to learn to be like-minded and not to consider himself greater than these men because that's where he was with, that's where he came from. He himself was a, a vagrant running around in the wilderness, so to speak. And I believe the Lord was working in his character and he had to trust God that it was for a reason. So that when later on, when the Lord would exalt him, that, that all those years was paying off to, to develop a pure nature. A nature where he wouldn't exalt himself like so many kings did. So many kings, like Saul and Nebuchadnezzar and all these, many of the kings of Israel that became proud and <clears throat> arrogant in their hearts. That the Lord takes us through places that we won't expect, sometimes more than we think we can handle, but it says he won't. Or places where we get anxious or fearful <clears throat> to test us to see if we know that He is with us and His rod and His staff will, com will comfort us. And He said by faith, in verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house full of forever. By faith, He believed that God's goodness and loving kindness would follow Him. <clears throat> but we know, if you read the Psalms, that David went through a lot of torment at times. If you read the Psalms, <clears throat> he was burning and he was, because of his sins and anxieties, it was in torment at times and he was just crying out and it sounds like a lot of pain and a lot of distress. But yet, in his heart, he believed that goodness would follow him because he sought to dwell in the presence of God in his house. And that <clears throat> that's, that's a, a word of faith that he spoke because it wasn't dependent on his outward circumstances, it was dependent on his relationship and inner man with the Lord. <clears throat> he saw his shepherd. He knew that he would make him lie down. 
Even when he was running, he would cause him eventually to lie down. <clears throat> and did David have a place to sleep? He always had a place to sleep somewhere. If it was in the cave or wherever it was, he had a shelter and he had food. <clears throat> and the word of God says, with these we shall be content. And the Lord had provided for him. There were times when he was hungry and he was going to kill Nabal to get some goods, maybe some food, maybe some covering. <clears throat> and before he had to kill and do it in his own strength, the Lord interceded and intervened and provided for him. <clears throat> and he had to go through tests to see if he would do things in his own strength, out of his impulses, or whether or not he would see what the Lord was doing in the times he had to repent, <clears throat> humble himself, and say, oh, I almost blew it here. <clears throat> and with this in mind, I wanted to read some passages in Luke chapter 12. There's different ways that we want. There's many, many ways that our flesh wants. Um, most common, naturally speaking, or, you know, we have wants for material things or comforts and things like that. And uh, the New Testament talks about things like covetousness and greed, and sometimes we see us we have a picture in our mind about what that looks like. But the Word of God says in the New Testament that there's many forms of greed. We've read this passage before, but one example here it gives us in Luke 12, 13. <clears throat> I have a title here. It says, Covetousness Denounced. And someone in the crowd had said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So there was an inheritance to be had. And uh, it's interesting that when someone dies and the inheritance comes, it's a big test. And the family can be a big test in the family. All the flesh can come alive. Those who are waiting for the jackpot. We find out what's in their hearts. Because <clears throat> Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the most speaks. And this man began to speak, and he began to seek. Someone intercede, and it happened to be Jesus. And Jesus said this, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? It's interesting. There's a passage in the New Testament that says, uh, <clears throat> exhorts some of the believing Corinthians as they were, I guess they were going to court or seeking lawsuits against their neighbors, and Paul was rebuking them, saying, Is there not a wise man among you who can resolve a matter amongst your neighbor or your brother? He says, You're doing this before unbelievers, and you've already, you've already uh, been a bad testimony, essentially is what he was saying. And so to seek a wise man to come in and say, Look, here, what's, what's reasonable? Well, here comes Jesus. This man went to Jesus, which you would think, He's the wisest of all men. <clears throat> and Jesus, this is how he answers this problem that potentially could be a lawsuit between two brothers. He says, Man, uh, who made me a judge over you? And then he warns him, and this is what he says in his wisdom. This is his advice. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of its possessions. And he talks about the forms of greed, and this one being the most obvious and <clears throat> this man desiring to have his possessions. And he says, this is not what one's life consists of. In verse 16, he began to tell him a parable. And he said, <clears throat> the, land, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods later for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
it's a simple parable, but this this man was living for his own comfort and ease, and this is what our flesh seeks for. We all know in our own eyes we have a different standard of what is comfort for us. But it's not God's will that we seek these things and set our heart and our mind on these things and on these wants. Our rest and our ease isn't to come from our natural possessions or comforts and desires. It's to come from the Lord Jesus. And this is a warning that he spoke to this man. But then it's interesting is that he turned to his disciples who were with him. They, All these disciples had forsaken everything. We know they left their net. All these type of things. So, and then he said to them, For this reason I say to you, for this reason, in context of the passage we read, do not be anxious for, what, for your life as what you shall eat, as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Do not be anxious for what for your life. <clears throat> Why does he say these things? Well, I mentioned this before, but <clears throat> I believe it's because that you know, where does where does covetousness and greed and all these things begin? Well, there's a discontentment. <clears throat> there's a discontentment in our flesh that wants more. But covetousness, trans, uh, translated, I believe in the Greek, is strong desire for more. I believe that's one of the definitions. Is it? It's a strong, continual desire for more. That's discontentment. That's also discontentment. <coughs> and then when he said to his disciples, after he shared this, he says, I, For this reason I'm warning you not to become anxious <clears throat> about your life, but what you have. Whatever standard you're at, <clears throat> if you're a man with much or if you're a man with little, it's not necessarily dependent on how much, but it's dependent on what, what your, where your desire is at. If you have desire for more, when you, whatever you have, you're discontent. If you have food and covering... <clears throat> and you're discontent, there's a form of, of greed there. There's a form of desire for more. And usually it manifests with anxiety and uh, frustration. Because there's a want inside, and we're not trusting God, and so therefore it manifests to show us that we're not trusting God. It's manifest. Anxiety. And so the disciples who had very little, who were following Jesus, may have in their own eyes seemed to think that they were more righteous, because now they just heard Jesus reproach this guy, who is going to get perhaps a large inheritance. But Jesus turns to them and says, be careful about anxiety, about your life, about what you have, and all these type of things. Because this is also a form of discontentment and desire. A want in the flesh that's not from God. <clears throat> he said, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. <clears throat> and then to build their faith, he says, you know, just look at nature, basically look at nature. Look at the ravens. They don't sow or reap, and they have no storeroom nor a barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are, are you than those birds? God feeds the birds of the air. They don't have to they don't have job security. They don't have to get you know, all these things that we have. We try and secure ourselves. But yet they have to go out every morning, and they just believe that they have faith that they're going to get what they need that day. They're going to dig in the ground. They're going to get a worm and they're going to just be thankful for that until the next meal. Basically, this is just, this is how we have to live. Just take every day at a time and give thanks. <clears throat> and if we see the anxiety and are looking to the future ahead, there's a, there's a way time when we need to you know plan our ways and be reasonable. But when we have this anxiousness, this anxiousness is different. Or fear. Fears and anxieties. 
This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Beware of these anxious desires that come from the flesh. These are wants. <clears throat> Verse 25, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? What he's saying is, what profit comes out of anxiety? Has any, has any man ever had any profit from becoming anxious? I mean, I just think of the sins of my youth, and, boy, being in university, and my friends telling me that they're investing in this, these stocks, and all these things, and, this, boy, the stocks were, they were going up, eh? and I was missing out. I was taking business, and I was learning about the stocks, and I... I was getting anxious before I did anything. I just felt anxiety stirring inside of me. I was missing out. So then I got them to tell me about it, and boy, was it <clears throat> good. So I just started investing in these things and throwing money in there. <clears throat> but I tell you, the Word of God is true. Whoever seeks to save his life loses it, and I end up losing that. Because when it says here, do not be anxious for your life, or rather, your soul, your soul life, your natural life, when you seek to save that, when you get anxious, it's because you're saying, I'm missing out on my soul life. My soul life is losing out. I have to save it. And so I jump in. Right? Jump on the bandwagon. And out of my anxiety, out of my fear, I'm compelled to satisfy my want. This is one example I can think of for myself. And it ends up I'm getting, I'm getting more uh, frustrated at the end. More frustrated than when I was anxious when I missed out on it. More frustrated and angry, angry at these guys who deceived me and took my money and put it in these stocks and, but I had to forgive them because I realized it was my greed it was my covetous my desire for these wants <clears throat> yeah it didn't profit me a single bit a single cubit <clears throat> verse 26 if then you cannot do even a very little thing why are you anxious about other matters <clears throat> all our thinking and all our reasoning Jesus says it doesn't solve any problems we can't do anything for ourselves that mess it up. <clears throat> this anxiousness, these these desires and these wants, it's to, they're, they're there to show us that we're falling short. They're there to show us that we, we need to put them to death and just learn contentment in Jesus. Boy, we'll be so much more happier. We'll be so much more at peace if we don't have to have these fears about measuring up to the world around us because there's opportunities, always going to be opportunities. You know, all of us, and even in our job, it's good to be blessed. When the Lord does it, it's different. There's a peace and a rest in there. But when we're grabbing and we're seeking, you know, as I heard it said, just grabbing for things, it leads in frustration. Verse 27, Consider the lilies and how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. <clears throat> now here, this isn't... God's comparing nature, which was created and made by God, with Solomon, who is the wisest man that ever lived. So Solomon, all his wisdom and all his reasoning, was not able to attain to himself a glory that God could give and create in a flower. So what he's saying is, why, why be anxious? What can we solve in our own human power, in our human reasoning, or in our wisdom? What can we gain for ourselves that is of any greater glory than what God gives? Because these things are gifts, what he gives even when he gives us the simple things, the necessities, that's what he promises us. But what's greater than that is when we have the necessities and we have contentment, there can be an inner joy, and that would be such a testimony to people that you can have an inner joy, but it's nothing because of what's outward. It's an in, it's what's inside, and they can't see it. So they desire what's inside of you because your soul life is different than theirs. It's not dependent on, on the wants. It's dependent on Jesus Christ it's because we have a shepherd. And he makes us lie down in the pastures, and we 
we have rest. It's so, so common for people to chase after the things of the world in our flesh when we do that, that we get lose peace. We lose our peace because our consciences condemn us or the Spirit convicts us. And we lose our peace and then we're not happy. And we're driven and we're, we keep trying to get more. God is saying He gave more glory to a flower than Solomon when he had all his wisdom. But if God so raised the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, O man of little faith? And now He says, even more than the glory they gave to the flowers and the grass, He says, we as men are much more valuable. He's building His disciples' faith here. Well, He's telling them, you don't have much faith, but I'm telling you, look it. You're more precious than a, than a flower or the grass which vanishes. So don't, don't fear and don't be afraid. Have faith in God. Have faith in God that He cares about. You know, so this is this is for us and everything because if He cares so much about what I eat and what I, my covering, and my food and my shelter and my life, then how much more all the other things that are so great, right? Or other worries and fears in life. There's so many worries and fears that we have. But He wants to clothe us. He wants to care for us. But it's the devil that tells us that maybe He really doesn't. Because maybe we have a standard in our mind, and so we have to attain to the standard and, and not really trusting God. We, we do what we think is good for us, and we're missing out on God's best. We're missing out on His peace and His goodness. And we're basically saying that He's not really a good Father after all. Right? That's what we're testifying to the heathen world, that He's really not a good Father after all. So we are, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. Rather than trusting God and by the testimony of God, He's just providing and He's just giving us joy. So He's telling them, <clears throat> Do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying. <clears throat> Those are simple words, but hard to keep. Obviously there's seasons of that when we struggle more with them. I, I know that. But if we have faith, we don't have to seek for those things. We don't have to worry about it. Because Jesus says He's going to provide everything we need. We don't have to get anxious night and day, morning and evening. We can pray. We can say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And just, that's enough. Grab me this day my daily bread. Thank you, Lord. Naturally speaking. <clears throat> and spiritually, He's going to feed us too. But even naturally, it's, it's true. We can ask and we can receive. When we pray that prayer every day, that her brother say, he says, you know, that prayer tells us that's a daily prayer. Grant me this day my daily bread. That's daily. I ask, right? And if I'm asking daily, that means I'm not having to worry and plan for all the days ahead. I'm every day I'm asking that He provides today. And that's enough. For all these things, the nations of the world, the Gentiles, they eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. You've heard this before. But, you know, that's the world is pursuing these things. What makes me different from the world? If I'm anxious... If I'm anxious, I'm no different than the heathen. If I'm worried about these things. But if I can overcome the anxiety and I can trust God, then it says here, your father. We have a father. And he already knows that I need it. And if I'm a son, then he's going to provide for me what I need. But he asks me to do this thing instead. To seek for his kingdom. See, that's that's what we should be more concerned about. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, be on guard against this thing because when you get anxious for the natural things, you're robbing yourself of the burden that he truly wants you to have for his kingdom. 
Because you can't have a burden to seek for His kingdom and for souls when you're anxious about your soul life. Because it's selfishness. It's my soul. What can I put on my soul and my body and comfort myself with? And when I'm getting anxious about my soul, I have no concern for His kingdom. So that's why He says, don't be anxious and don't seek for those things, but seek for the kingdom. Let, let that be your heart's burden. Let Paul, let Paul was burdened and concerned for the church. You know, that's why he could go nine days without sleeping and poorly clothed and all these things. <clears throat> he didn't live by high standards. At times he did and at times he had nothing. And that's why he said, I've, I've learned the secret. This is a secret in the kingdom here. And that is, when you have lots, give him thanks. Don't desire more. But when you have little, also give thanks and just if you're through the valley of the shadow of death or in your hard places, just say, thank you, Lord. You're going to make me lie down in this place. To me, it's like a green pasture, Lord. It doesn't matter what I see. But seek for the kingdom. Because the Gentiles don't seek for the kingdom. <clears throat> and if the Christians don't, then who's going to seek the kingdom? And the devil uses anxieties and worries about our, our lifestyle to, to quench the work of the Spirit to seek his kingdom. And the promise is that if I truly seek his kingdom, that he will add those things, those wants and need, or those needs, right? Or we don't have to want because we're content with what He provides according to His Word. And that's why He says in <clears throat> verse 32, again, don't be afraid. This fear and faith factor, it's always opposites, right? <clears throat> when we're afraid and when we're anxious, it just tells us we are lacking faith. We're not really trusting God. So we know how the measure of our faith is because if our anxieties and our fears about our natural life are always upon us, it means our faith is little. Because the disciples' faith was little. He told them that. Oh, man of little faith. <coughs> and when we overcome that, you know, we want to have faith. We want to have faith to you know, cast out demons and heal the sick and all these things. But if we don't have faith to overcome the, the, minor, the, the minor things of life, we could say, being anxious about what I'm eating and drinking, how can our faith increase? If we overcome these anxieties, our faith, we know, is going to increase. Because we're trusting God. It's like Peter, he says, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I give to you. It's just interesting, I always thought that passage. In his heart, he was dead to it, you know. <clears throat> Not that he, whether he had it or he didn't, but in his heart, he didn't have it, and it didn't matter. What he had was faith. So he gave the man his faith, he said, in Jesus' name, walk. But it's the anxieties. It's not necessarily what we have. It's the, it's in the heart. It's the anxieties, the things. And oftentimes, I mean, it's very difficult to have these things and not and overcome them. But with God, all things are possible. <clears throat> now, he told his disciples that if you have these anxieties, seek for the kingdom and don't be afraid. He calls them little flock. And this kind of ties together with Psalm 23. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. <clears throat> so what will you seek for? Will you seek for the things that the Gentiles seek for? Or will you seek His kingdom and He'll give you the kingdom? You know, we want the Holy Spirit. I, I seek for the Lord. I want, I want measures of His Holy Spirit that I haven't known. I want more of His Holy Spirit. How do I get it? Well, He says, is, He wants to give me the kingdom. I have to seek the kingdom. And seeking the kingdom, I have to overcome these anxieties, these natural anxieties. When I seek His will and His righteousness... I don't have to fear, and he's going to give me the kingdom. And he even told, went so far to tell them, sell your possessions, give to charity. They're holding you back. If they're causing you 
to become anxious, and your mind is set on the things of the flesh and the natural things, then <clears throat> sell those things that possess you, in other words. As the brother said, right? <clears throat> some things are, can be servants, and some things we become servants to. And if we're servants of the things that possess us, that's a bad sign. <clears throat> but if these things we have, we are blessed with, we can share and give to others, that is good. But if they possess us, get rid of it. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, <clears throat> an unfailing treasure in heaven where there no thief, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, and the treasure is, is where your heart is. That's where your heart will be. And you know those areas are your treasures, those possessions that are in your heart, that they're causing you anxiety. <clears throat> God can give those things, but if there's anxiety there, say, Lord, I need to overcome this. I don't have to be slave to this thing, but if it's causing me such anxiety, why am I a slave of this thing? I'm being robbed of the kingdom. According to your word, I'm being robbed of the kingdom. You want to give me the kingdom, Lord? That's what I want. I need to overcome this anxiety. And I think it's no, no small thing that he goes on to talk about being ready for his coming after this. It, to me, it just it emphasizes how serious these things are. And when anxiety comes, it's not just a light thing that we need to overcome. He says to his disciples, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. Don't be tied down to run that race to the finish line. If there's a weight in your life, if there's a sin, there's things that are holding you back, cast them off because you need to be ready. Be like men who are waiting for their masters when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those slaves, he told his disciples, whom the master shall find on the alert. When he comes, truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. <clears throat> Kind of like Psalm 23, and this and this is this is our hope. I mean, this is the greatest reward. He's going to give them the kingdom and an inheritance, and he's going to come. I don't understand this how wonderful this is, but it says that when the master comes, he will serve them. He will have them recline, and he will wait upon them. Jesus did that in John 13 when he washes disciples' feet. But when we wait for Jesus and we're watchful and we're forsaking our soul life to wait for Him and for His kingdom, He promises us that He's going to come and wait on us and bless us. Whether He comes in the second watch or even in the third or finds the, and finds them so, blessed are those leaves. That we're blessed again is happy, right? Happy, happy. We're anxious because we're flesh isn't happy and we, we get more anxious. But He's saying the ones who are really going to be happy in the end are the ones who are waiting, who've set their hope in the kingdom of God. He says, if it's if it's second watch, third watch, it doesn't matter how long. Persevere, persevere, persevere until he comes, until he comes back. Blessed are those slaves. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Of course, if we knew the day and hour Jesus was coming back, we would be getting on the alert, if we, especially if we knew it was coming soon. But we don't know. But we do know that we have to be ready. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. I just want to read a verse in Hebrews 13. <clears throat> so we talked about this discontentment and anxiety, and <clears throat> it's there. It's a good task to find out how, where my discontentment is, where, where my faith is. This anxiety and this fear is a good test. <clears throat> and it all ties back to even the love of money. Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Let your character be free from the love of money. That's in the character. That's the nature. 
when someone else is getting ahead, it doesn't have to be the stock market, it could be anything, when someone else is moving on, along and my flesh is, oh, I'm not there. Am I ever going to get there? Am I missing out? It's, that's the beginning. This love of money can grip us. It says, being content with what you have. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. Not, Lord, I don't have that. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. And look what he says. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It's a promise. <clears throat> this is specifically in regards to him providing for us, taking care of us. Often misquoted uh, or used in the wrong context. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Kind of like David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What? I shall not be afraid. What shall man do to me? And this is all talking about being content and the love of money. And he says, if we have faith, we'll cry out, the Lord is my helper. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to become anxious. That's what he told us. I was be on guard against this anxiety, these fears that come. The Lord is our helper. He will not forsake us or leave us. He has it all planned out. He has our life planned out. <clears throat> it's his desire that we seek his, the kingdom. That's that's the burden that he wants us to have. Because he's raising up, he's desiring to raise up laborers, and laborers are few. <clears throat> Many are seeking for the things of the world, but the laborers are few. Amen.